Connected by purpose, driven by passion. This is Children's Healthcare Canada's Spark Conversations podcast series. Welcome to Spark Conversations, Children's Healthcare Canada's monthly podcast series. At the crossroads of children's healthcare system improvement and leadership, Spark Conversations is a solution-focused podcast that connects the child health community with system leaders who tackle wicked problems and discuss ideas to inform the development of innovative and integrated systems serving children and youth. Spark Conversations is one component of the newly refreshed Spark Knowledge Mobilization Program. Spark is the shared platform for advocacy, research, and knowledge. I'm Paula Robeson, and today I'm delighted to be speaking with Chaya Kalkarni about a topic that may not always get the attention it deserves, infant and early mental health in Canada. Dr. Kalkarni is the Director of Infant and Early Mental Health Promotion at the Hospital for Sick Children or Sick Kids. This national organization aims to improve outcomes across the lifespan through translating and promoting the science of early mental health into practice with families, during pregnancy, infancy, and early childhood. Chaya is also an advisor to Dolly Parton's Imagination Library, a member of the Strategic Advisory Committee at the Ontario Centre of Excellence on Child and Youth Mental Health, and a member of the board at Family Daycare Services. Prior to joining, Chaya was VP Parent and Professional Education at Investing Kids, and she also served as Senior Policy Analyst and Researcher for the Office of the Official Opposition at Queen's Park. Today, we're chatting about an extremely important topic. Hello, Chaya. Welcome to Spark Conversations. Hello. Thanks for having me today. Chaya, you have a unique and diverse set of experiences and perspectives, and we're delighted to have you on the show today. But before we dig in, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got where you are now. Yeah, I think my entire career has been focused on on young children and feeling like that was really where... There was such an opportunity to influence, and I've I've had the privilege of uh, working in a variety of roles, everything from policy to program to resource development, um, and you know that has always been very exciting. And I think over the past decade, what has been extraordinary for me is how the science has really shed light on just how critical. Uh, the prenatal to the first three years of life in terms of influencing later life outcomes. So it's certainly something um, I'm passionate about. And most people who know me know that. Uh, And I feel really strongly that as a society, we're in a position to really ensure that every single child has the best start in life in this country. I think it was Mahatma Gandhi who said a nation's greatness is measured by how it treats its weakest members. And UNICEF's report card last year, uh, report card 16, revealed that Canada ranked 31st among richer nations in child mental health. How does Canada compare to other nations in terms of infant and early mental health? Well, sadly, we're quite behind. You know, our our, uh, neighbors to the south are definitely further ahead jurisdictions like australia the uk um, scandinavian countries are are much much further ahead in recognizing and when i say recognizing i'm really talking about recognizing in policy and practice the significant role of infant and early childhood mental health So we are behind and we would probably, if we were to just look at infant and early mental health um, as a measure, we would, 
I fear we would probably rank even lower on that scale. Compared to those leaders, what are they doing that we need to do to improve our ranking and and what's at risk if we don't? Well, yeah, that's a really good question because um, can I share a little story with you? Please. That has really got me thinking. Um, So some time ago, I was listening to uh, CBC radio and, uh, you know, they do a show called as it happens, I think. And it must've been just around the holidays. So like around Christmas time, and they were featuring a story about a family in Saskatchewan that had made pierogies, homemade pierogies. And because of the pandemic, they couldn't see their family here somewhere in, in the GTA. And so they decided to send the pierogies by courier to their family and the pierogies got lost. (laughs) Now, ultimately the pierogies were found, but here's the issue for me. I can't get anybody in the media to pay attention to infant and early mental health, but somehow a story about pierogies got on national radio. Ah, yes. So, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know what to tell you. Um, we definitely, we're not interested, <laughs> uh, you know, on a like big picture. We appear to be not interested or we're still struggling with all babies are cute and cuddly and not really understanding that all babies arrive in the world with a history. It's the history of, you know, during the pregnancy but it is also the history passed down through through the, the genes that they've received. So I, I think we're having a hard time sort of letting go of that perfect picture and recognizing that we need, if we want to change the story for the youth, the next generation of youth, the work has to begin in infancy, not when they're in trouble. Um, so that's one thing. And I think the, the other piece is that this requires system change. We literally have to work differently, not just at the front line, but from a system perspective, things have to be designed differently. That is, you know, it takes more than one election cycle. So there has to be a political will and an understanding of the science as to why this is so critical for this country to start paying attention to this issue. So it's not a matter of the science not being certain as to what to do, but the political will that it is an important issue to begin with. Correct. So 100% correct. So one of the things that was so exciting for me just in the past few months was that uh, the Canadian Institute of Health Research, CIHR, just put out a call for proposals for proposals on implementation science specific to infant and early mental health. I would have to say this is the first time that such a call has been made and it's exciting. So I'm heartened that there seems to be a shift that is long overdue, um, but I still think that political will is there. And the science, you know, if people ever say to me, well, but you know, we need more scientific evidence. Honestly, this, the, the volume of science is mammoth now in terms of really understanding what is happening 
in the brain developmentally for young children and, you know, prenatally to three and how these early experiences impact later health development. The science is robust. We don't, I mean, we will of course continue to pursue the science and understand more and better, but there is enough evidence here already. So it's about awareness of the importance and of what needs to be done. Yeah, yeah. And your program is one of a kind in Canada. What's required to spread and scale this program nationally and improve our ranking? Yeah, so I think uh, leadership really is what's needed. And, and I will say, you know, my, our home is at the Hospital for Sick Children. Infant and Early Mental Health Promotion is situated within the Learning, Learning Institute. Um, but we are a grant-dependent unit. So we don't, we get lots of support um, from the hospital, but not financial support. So first of all, we have to raise, um, I have to raise my own salary. I have to raise the salary for my staff. So right there, it's sort of like, hmm. So investments aren't there. Yeah. Um, But having said that, I, I do have to say that there is a lot of support actually at the hospital, more than there's ever been before for infant and early mental health. Dr. Cohn has really taken a a very special interest in the work that we're doing, in particular, the work that we're doing with Indigenous communities. Um, You know, my Vice President Pam Hubley, my Director Kelly McClellan, like amazingly supportive in the work, you know. And so when I say that, yeah, we're a grant-dependent program, it's not because they wouldn't like to give us money, but you know, you know how hospitals are funded and it's not so easy, right? To give a unit that is like ours that is not providing patient care funding. And that leaves us being very vulnerable where we are dependent on grants. And the line of sight into future planning is very challenging and staffing up to it, yeah. Yeah, because you know, I often say to people, running IMP is like running a mutual fund. We have to have our hands in many different revenue streams. Like if we were just dependent on grants, what would happen if the grants dried up, right? We we would stop. Or if we were just dependent on training contracts, well, you know, when, when economic times are bad, uh, training dollars are one of the first things that get cut by government typically. So while, uh, you know, financially we're very vulnerable, I have to say over the past five to 10 years, I am seeing organizations, you know, including my own at the Hospital for Sick Kids, the Knowledge Institute for Child and Youth Mental Health and Addictions. They are really trying hard to to raise awareness about infant and early mental health. We partner with the Knowledge Institute on many initiatives, uh, and certainly Dr. Cohen has routinely taken an interest in the work that we're doing. So I think there is a change, but there needs to be more of a change because we are falling behind faster and faster because the other jurisdictions are way ahead and certainly recognize the significance of this period of development. I wonder what they've done differently than we've done in order to get there. Yeah, I think some of it might have to do with research, which is an interesting situation because, for for instance, in the United States, a lot of the research around infant and early mental health has actually come from the United States. 
but that also means that it's it's a very western lens on infant mental health and so you know it's it's been interesting we we are running a 15 part lecture series and we have speakers from other parts of the world and you know it's been interesting hearing their perspectives and listening to to them describe you know in their communities what infant mental health looks like and it looks you know in terms of how it is supported might be a little bit different but i think a big piece is that research like formal research has been led by the united states by the uk by austria um, Australia rather, and by some of those Scandinavian countries. And as a result, they are further ahead. It's not often I see a call for proposals that is specific to infant mental health. Very, very rare. So research is one piece. What else at a system level can we do better? Yeah. So I think the other thing, and it really comes after the research is that we have to hold ourselves accountable. So, so Paula, if I were to ask you today, to tell me how children aged one are doing in Canada. Developmentally, how are Canada's one-year-olds doing? You actually can't tell me that. Because the data is not available? Correct. So one of the things that has to change is we have to actually say, hey, collecting data or, or asking that question of, how are our young children doing? We have to be willing to ask that question and willing to put in place the tools, the measures, whatever we need to actually gather that information. So a colleague of mine at Queen's University, Dr. James Reynolds, has recently set up a national database for scores from a tool that we use and is used quite widely across Canada called the Ages and Stages Questionnaires. And the questionnaires look, there's two of them. One looks at all five domains of development and one looks at specifically at social emotional development. And it only indicates developmental risk. So it's not at all a diagnostic tool. It really is a tool that says, oh, you know what? We need to worry about this toddler in this area and, and support this toddler's development more because there is a risk for delay in this area. So it's not at all um, diagnostic. So Dr. Reynolds has now started to, well, he's opened up the database to any, any agency in Canada. They will come in, anonymize the data and add it to the database. And we're, we're very close to actually having norms for Canadian children. We don't have that right now. So I think that is going to be a turning point in Canada when we can say to politicians, did you know that, you know, nearly 30% of our kids under the age of five are at risk for a social, emotional, or behavioral problem? Now, that number comes from about 25 years ago <laughs> when Doug Wilms led the National Longitudinal Study for Children and Youth. But we have not had an updated number ever since then. We, we don't know. Yes, and the world is very different than it was 30 years ago. It is very different. And kids are very And then if we layer on top of that the pandemic, and what has the pandemic done for the development of very young children, you know, who, when they go to daycare, are only seeing the eyes of their caregivers? 
as one example, right? Or for those moms, I mean, I have just returned from Moosonee last night where, you know, I, I was really quite distressed to, to hear, and I, I knew this, but of course, being in the community, we were talking about it more. The fact that for a mom in Moosonee or Moose Factory, they have to leave their community one month prior to their due date. So they are flown out to say um, Timmins or Kingston, where they stay in a hotel for a month by themselves. Oh, away from family and away from family. I think they're allowed to take one person with them and they stay there until they give birth. And then they are, I think they, they stay, you know, depending on how the, the birth goes in recovery, the, the time between the birth and, and when they go back home uh, will vary significantly. Right. So I just can't even begin to imagine, you know, what that must feel like for all those women. Right. But, you know, we're not tracking any of this. Like, we don't know what the impact is of that. We have no idea. Yes. So what role can organizations like Children's Healthcare Canada do to promote infant mental health, the importance of it, the importance of data to make decisions related to it? Well, you know, honestly, Paula, I think even just doing this podcast is a huge step. Uh, You know, you're reaching an audience that we don't necessarily know how to reach across Canada. And that for us is really exciting. I think, you know, sharing information that we have. So information about the 15 part lecture series uh, would be amazing so that, you know, if there are any uh, health institutes that want to participate in that. But I think and, and we've certainly chatted about, you know, partnering on on initiatives. We have we have an amazing initiative um, that we call from the heart that was specifically designed for neonatal intensive care units and really trying to remind parents who find themselves in a NICU about just how important they are to their baby's well-being. Well, you know, because it's so daunting with all the machines and equipment that surround that baby, it's hard to think that you matter. And yet the research (laughs) tells us that actually you do matter. You matter a lot. Right. So I think as we as we get to know one another and partner, you know, you you folks have been so generous and, you know, offering to help us get information out. And I think it is more of that. I, I, I think partnerships like this are what will actually lead to a change. Well, let's definitely continue the discussion. We'll um, make sure we have links to your learning series and other resources uh, where this podcast is posted on our website for sure. And we'll continue on from there. The other thing I would add is that we are about to also launch a survey of uh, primary healthcare practitioners. And um, that is to help us understand, you know, where do they see their knowledge around infant and early mental health? So again, you know, we would likely be knocking on your door to say, hey, can you help us get this out? And then sharing the results with your membership. Yep. Happy to help. So I think those are the kinds of things that we can do together. We will continue the discussion and we're happy to be involved. But we're now through the main portion of our interview. So at this point, I'm going to throw some rapid fire questions your way. For these, there's only three. 
There's no right or wrong answer. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Who has had the biggest influence on your career and why? Um, I would have to say that the person who's had the biggest influence in my career has been a, a former boss of mine by the name of Nancy Birnbaum. And uh, that was because she, she was the uh, president of an organization called Investing Kids that I worked at for many years. But Nancy was a marketing executive. And so it, it, was, it was just an amazing experience to see her take the science of early development and turn it into plain language that was more accessible. And I think a lot of my experiences under her leadership actually taught me a lot and are skills that I've used a lot in my role at SickKids. There are so many uh, parallels and things we can learn from the marketing industry for effective knowledge mobilization, for sure. Yes. What is one thing you feel deeply grateful for right now? Well, I would have to say I'm deeply, I, I come from a family that just really valued life and well-being of children. My parents were both incredibly generous people, um, you know, at home, but even within the community that we grew up in. And I think they instilled in me a sense, uh, a desire, not not even a sense of responsibility, but a desire to give back. And the one thing I always remember from my from my mom is being kind actually doesn't require a lot of energy. But being adversarial or mean or difficult actually consumes a great deal of energy. And that really stuck with me. So, you know, I think it guides a lot of the work and how I work um, in terms of, of trying to promote infant and early mental health. Well, that's lovely. Your mom was a wise woman. She was. And lastly, what, what is the number one thing we need to consider right now to move children's health care forward in a positive direction? I would have to say data. I think that, that we need to be collecting more data that can really help us to know how our children are doing and where it is that we need to provide more. The highlight on the importance of data becomes important as we try to ask a, a number of questions. And I'm continually sort of surprised at not being able to have what I thought were simple questions like how are one-year-olds in Canada doing? Um, that we're not don't have the information available to answer those questions. So that's a great idea. Well, thank you, Chai. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me. And let's continue to work together. Thank you. To stay up to date on all of our Spark offerings, including upcoming podcast episodes, visit our website at childrenshealthcarecanada.ca and subscribe to our Spark newsletter if you haven't already. Thanks for listening to Spark Conversations. And before we go, show some love for your new podcast series by leaving us a review and then join us again next month. Thank you. Thank you.